Welcome to the Disciple Dare, a four-week series to challenge you to discover what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. More info on the Disciple Dare can be found at ViennaSDA.org. Pastor Jennifer Deans shows you through stories from the Bible how living the dare will give you hope in troubled times and joy in life. In this message, Lessons in Manna. It was just shortly after they had sprung from Egypt, after God had done all sorts of amazing feats in Egypt, and the Israelites were now wandering in the desert. And you can only imagine this whole group of people who've been told every single day of their life exactly what to do, when to be somewhere, exactly how they're supposed to do it, how they're supposed to dress, how they're supposed to eat, that as slaves, you don't have a choice. And so now they're out wandering in the wilderness, and so they end up in one place, and it's an okay place, and then Moses says, well, let's move, and so they move, and they move to another place, and they're out in the middle of the desert, and so now they're thirsty, and there's a lot of them, and they get to this place where there's springs of water, and so they see water, and that is the coolest thing, and everybody goes running for the water, and they taste it, and everybody spits it out at the same time. And then they look at Moses, and they said, how dare you take us out of Egypt and bring us to a place, you're out in the desert, we're going to die in the desert, there's no water. And so Moses goes and he, he, he prays and he asks God, hey God, I have a whole group of angry slaves right now, and they're not quite sure what's going on. And so God says, why don't you take some salt and throw the salt in the water, and then the water will be good. And so that's what he did. And that made them happy. Now the water's good. They called the place Mara because it means bitter water. And so that's what they remember, that God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then he gave them bitter water. And then Moses says, it's time to move again. And so they're moving again. And as they're moving, they head to a place where there's... 12 springs, and there's 70 palm trees, and it's a beautiful oasis in the middle of the desert, and it's the perfect place where everybody would want to live, and they begin to settle down, and they realize after a while that Moses is going to tell them to leave again. And so Moses says, it's time. God has told me it's time to leave. And so grumbling and complaining, like the children of Israel like to do, they got up and they start to leave, and they end up in the middle of the desert, somewhere between where they were just at with the you know, 70 palm trees and the 12 springs of water and Mount Shur. Mount Shur. They're in the middle of the desert. There's no water there's no food, and all of a sudden they begin to whine and they begin to complain again. They're like, Moses, how could you bring us all the way out here in the desert? We would have been better off in Egypt, because at least in Egypt we had food, we had as much meat as we wanted, and we had as much bread as we wanted. We were happier when we were slaves in Egypt. And Moses is like, he goes to God and he goes, God, what are they doing to me? We brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and all they can, they can, they're just whining and complaining. And God's like, hey, listen, Moses, it's not about you. They're complaining against me. Moses, tell them that I'm going to send them meat tonight, and then in the morning I'm going to send them bread. So Moses goes out and he calls Aaron, and he gathers all the people, and it must have been a, an amazingly scary situation because he's standing in front of a whole bunch of angry slaves who must have been very built and strong from doing slave labor and they're milling around and they're angry because they're hungry and they're not happy to be there and so Moses calls them all together and as he's looking out he's looking into the desert and he sees the pillar of God which is a huge cloud offering them shade during the day and it's a fire by night offering them warmth and light and he sees God's presence and he takes comfort in the fact that God is here and he says God has promised that he'll give you meat tonight. And in the morning, he will give you bread. And then he quietly walks away. And later that evening, there's a sound, a flapping. And as he looks out in the sky, all of a sudden, a huge flock of quail fly into the camp. And like sitting ducks, they sit right in front of the Israelites, who just walk around and pick one up and take it home for dinner. And they're excited and they're happy. Now God has given us meat. He has given us quail to eat. 
And then in the morning, they wake up, and there's something different on the desert floor. There is this white, powdery stuff. And they're like, Moses, what's this? And Moses is like, that's the food God gave you to eat. They're like, okay. He says, uh, here's what God told me. You should gather about, you know, two pints for each person who lives in your house. So when you're going out, gather enough for each person. Two pints should be about enough for a day. Don't gather more than two pints. You need to eat everything that you gather in a day. Don't save it overnight. Good, got it. And so all of a sudden the Israelites have a new task to do and they're out and they have these little buckets and they're, they're gathering and they're putting what eventually becomes known as manna, these little white flakes into their buckets. And as they're picking them up, some people have big families so they gather a whole lot of it. Some people have small families so they just gather a little bit. Some people weren't paying attention to what Moses said and they're thinking, hey, Might as well just go grocery shopping for the whole week. I'm going to get as much of this stuff now as I possibly can so I don't have to do anything later. And so they get a whole ton of manna. And then they go and they cook it and they boil it. And it's actually sweet. It tastes like honey. And it's good. And so they're pretty happy. Well, the next morning, the people who had stored up some extra ones went into their kitchens and found that it had it had maggots in it, it stank, it was nasty, it was gross. How could, oh, it was the grossest thing in the world. It was so bad they had to throw away their pots and their pans. And they go and complain to Moses, why did it go bad? It was so good yesterday. And Moses is like, he looks at God and he's angry and God's like, it's not about you, it's about me. They didn't listen to me. And Moses is like, I told you, only take enough for one day. If you don't, if you take more, it will go bad. It will be rotten. It will not be good. Don't eat it. Okay. And so they practice this. They get to practice this for six days. Every morning they get up, and on the six days they wake up, and instead of this much manna on the ground, there's this much manna. And they come to Moses, and they're like, what happened? What happened? There's, this is something new. There's a lot more manna this morning, but we're not supposed to gather more. Why did God give us more manna? And Moses says, oh, call everybody together. So everybody is called together, and the children of Israel are standing there in the midst of this snowy, like, manna stuff in the middle of the desert floor. And Moses says, today is the sixth day. And God said, on every sixth day, you're supposed to gather two times as much manna as you had before. Because there's not going to be any manna on the seventh day. God says that the seventh day is a day of rest. You're not supposed to do any work. It's a Sabbath day. So there will not be any manna. Cool, got it. So the Israelites go around. They start picking up manna. Well, those same people who had earlier not paid attention to Moses and they'd gathered too much, they're like, oh no. I am not gathering any more than I need today. Because if I gather some, I remember what happened earlier this week. The next morning, my whole house stank from that rotten manna. I am not going there again. And so some of the children of Israel gathered just enough for one day. And the next morning, they wake up and they look around. Hey, Moses, where's the manna? We need some food for today. And God gets angry this time, and he, God talks to Moses. He says, Moses, how long are these people not going to listen to me? How long are they not going to pay attention? I told them there wasn't going to be any manna on the seventh day. What is going on here? What is happening? What is God doing? First of all, we find this story, and if you turn with me to Exodus It's the second book of the Bible on page 56. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. We learn something about the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40. It's on page 56. Exodus 12, verse 40 says, The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that the Lord forces left the land. 
So this tells us that we have a whole bunch of slaves who for 430 years have been brainwashed. They haven't been allowed to think. They haven't been allowed to make decisions. You don't get the rights of a human being when you're a slave. You get told what to do, and that's what you do. And so in this 430 years, they had forgotten the God of their ancestors. They'd forgotten how to have a relationship with him. And so what God is doing here is it tells us in um, Acts chapter 16... Um, verse 1, Acts chapter 16, verse 1, just flip the page over. Acts 16, verse 1, says, The whole community of Israel set out from Elm and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin between Elm and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So we find the children of Israel one month after they've left Egypt, and they've already been complaining against God a lot. And so God is taking this group of people who are in freedom, they're not used to, who are for the first time ever in their life are giving an ability to choose and the ability to think and make decisions for themselves. And they don't really know what to do, how to be a people, how to, how to be an individual. And so God's like, I have to teach them an important truth. And so the very first thing God teaches them, he uses manna. He doesn't even tell them the Ten Commandments for two more chapter, or uh, four more chapters. He starts off with this very important thing. And he uses food because it's a very important truth that he's got to get across to the children of Israel. And what better way to get an important truth across than to use food? We all like food. And we learn lessons really quick when we have not enough food or too much food and when food goes bad. And so what God is doing is he's teaching the children of Israel a very, very important lesson. He is teaching them about the Sabbath. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. This is actually what, Jesus, what God tells him. Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. It's on page 60. He says, Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake and boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. God is telling them, imagine this. For 430 years, you and your ancestors have not had a day off. You guys have not had privileges, you've not had rights. And so God says, okay, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to teach you how to take a day off. Now, it's a special day. This day, I'm not even going to give you an option whether or not you get to take a day off. I'm going to make you take a day off, and the way I'm going to make you do it is with your food. I'm going to teach you. So God starts out with the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 16, and he doesn't tell them about taking a day off. He starts out with them, and he says, okay, I just need you to trust me. There's going to be food tomorrow morning, and you need to gather it. And so they go out, and they gather it. And he says, but don't keep it overnight. Why do you think God didn't want them to keep it overnight? Any idea? He wanted their trust. Exactly. Look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. It says, Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. So God's testing them. For the first six days, just take as much food as you um, need. Don't take any more food. And then verse 17, it says, So some of the Israelites did as they were told, and some gathered a lot, some gathered a little. Um, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, don't keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell, and Moses was angry with them. So the children of Israel, who have had a life of absolutely nothing but obeying, can't obey the simplest of commands. Don't take more than you need on the first six days. 
God is trying to teach them. He's trying to get them to trust him. And he, he gets them to trust him by the people who ended up with the maggots and the nasty smell didn't really like that all that much. And so they were the same ones that later on, they were the ones who didn't gather enough. God is trying to teach this group of knucklehead slow learners who've never had the ability to think for themselves an extremely important truth. He is trying to teach them what they forgot. What it's talking about is a Sabbath day's rest echoes back to creation. Turn with me to Genesis chapter um, 2. Genesis chapter 2. It's page 4. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was complete. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day when he rested from all his work. What the Israelites had forgotten in their 430 years is what, they, what their ancestors had known was they're supposed to keep every seventh day holy. And in Genesis, at the very beginning, God sets this out. He gives a command, keep the seventh day holy, keep the Sabbath holy. And he does something special to the Sabbath day. If we look in Genesis chapter 2, first of all, God rested from his works. God knew humans before they'd lived very long at all. And they knew that each one of us were going to be workaholics and that we weren't going to know when to put something down. We're kind of like the dogs. Dogs are one of the only animals in the animal kingdoms that will eat themselves to death, that will eat stuff that's poisonous for them. Most animals have instincts and know not to do stuff like that, but dogs don't. They're not quite as bright as some of the other animals. And God kind of knew that about us, too. That if he didn't institute a time when we rested, that we were just going to go and go and go and go and go and burn ourselves out, and we were never going to take the time we needed to rejuvenate physically, but also rejuvenate in a relationship with God. So he starts it way back at creation. So God rested. Do you think God was really tired and that, that's why he rested? Are you sure? Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, page 584. Isaiah chapter 40, and verse 28. Page 584. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. It says, Have you never heard? Have you never understood that the Lord is everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? Listen to this. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depth of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. So how often does God get really tired and exhausted? Never. Okay, so do you think God rested because during the seven days of creation it was just so exhausting for him? No. Uh, he could have created the whole world in six seconds, just like Joe said. That wasn't, that wasn't the issue. God rested because he knew we needed rest. Think about this. Human beings' day, first full day of life on earth, what were they doing? Their first full day. They were created on the sixth day, Genesis chapter 1. The first full of day, they were resting with God on his Sabbath. God started us out resting. That's a really cool way to start. You start out resting so that when you get going, you have all the energy you need. So God started us at creation resting. Genesis chapter 2 also tells us that God blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy. So God blessed the seventh day. He made that day special. He made that day a little bit different. Declaring it holy, what does holy mean? You guys have any idea? Holy means sacred, of God. What was that? Separate, different. So God set apart the seventh day as different, as holy, as separate. So do you think it matters which day we, we rest, which day we spend time with God? If we just pick a day? Well, think about it this way. A man gets married, and his wife has six sisters. All six sisters are in the wedding. 
All of them are at the wedding. The wedding's absolutely beautiful. Every single one of the sisters is beautiful. The man's bride is the most beautiful, obviously. But after the wedding, the man gets in the limo, ready to go for the honeymoon. And his bride's a little bit late getting to the limo. And so one of the other sisters pops into the limo and says, okay, let's go. And he looks at her and goes, oh, no, 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 no. You're not the one I married. You're not the one that's set apart. No, but I'm one of the sisters. I was at the wedding. I'm, you know, I'm related. You're supposed to love me too. Well, yeah, I love you, but it's just a slightly different way. Do you think any of us would go for that kind of arrangement? No. In fact, the word God uses for holy, sacred, set apart is the same word that he later uses to talk about marriage, the sanctity of marriage, the holiness there. It is special and important. God chose a special day, and he blessed that day, the seventh day, and he made that one holy. So we don't get to necessarily just choose whichever day we want to. God chose for us. And so that's what he's teaching the children of Israel. They had lost track of time. They might not remember the weekly cycle. And so God's like, here, I'm going to show you what it is. I'm going to start you out on the right foot. As soon as they are capable of learning something, a month after they're out of Egypt, God teaches them this first. He doesn't start with the Ten Commandments. He doesn't start anywhere else. He starts with teaching them about the Sabbath because it's the most important thing for them to learn in a life with him. That you say, um, okay, so God said that which day was holy and which day was sacred in Genesis? The seventh day, Okay. Which day is the seventh day? Saturday. Okay. How do we know that Saturday is the seventh day and it's not actually, you know, Thursday? Have we ever lost track of the weekly cycle? You know, there might be an error. We might be worshiping on Saturday thinking it's the seventh day, but it's really not the seventh day, right? Well, um, let's look. Let's look in Luke chapter 23. There's a few different ways that we can learn which day is the seventh day. So look in Luke chapter 23, page 858. Luke chapter 23, page 858. Luke chapter 23, page 858. We're going to figure out when the Bible says is the seventh day. So this is talking about after Jesus died. What's going on here? So Luke chapter 24, verse 54. Luke chapter 23, verse 54, sorry. It says, Luke chapter 23, verse 54. It says, This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. So which day is the day of preparation? Friday. Okay, and we even know that it's, you know, there's the preparation day, there's Good Friday. Um, Lots of Christians throughout the world celebrate, you know, Good Friday, the day that Jesus was killed. Okay, so they take Jesus down off the cross and some of the women are going to prepare his body. In verse 55, it says, and his body was taken away. The women followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home to prepare spices and ornaments to anoint his body. By the time they'd finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by law. All right. So, Friday, preparation day, good Friday, Jesus died. Saturday, on Sabbath, the Jews, during Jesus' time, wouldn't even prepare um, um, spices to anoint his body because it was Sabbath. They rested. And then look on... Um, the very first verse of chapter 24. It says, But early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the the stone had been rolled away. So, the Bible lists very clearly that Friday, preparation day, was the day that Jesus died. The seventh day on Sabbath, the Jews rested. That's when Jesus was in the tomb and Jesus was resting. Even in death, Jesus was keeping the Sabbath. He rested on the seventh day. And then on Sunday, which is the first day of the week, is when Jesus rose from the dead. So that we see that um, up until the time of Jesus, the weekly cycle seemed to be pretty intact. The Jews had an understanding of it. We can also learn from a few other things. There's over 140 languages in the world that the 
word for seventh day is Sabbath. The English word for um, the seventh day of the week is Saturday, but we're one of the languages that it isn't. But there's 140 languages that the actual word for Saturday or for the seventh day is Sabbath, the word that God uses in the Bible. Also, if you look in Webster's Dictionary, here's what Webster's Dictionary describes the word for Sabbath. Here's what it says about Sabbath. It is the seventh day of the week observed from Friday evening to Saturday evening as a day of rest and worship by Jews and some Christians. It is a time of rest. The Webster's Dictionary has an understanding of when Sabbath is. Not only that, if you look um, the Royal Greenwich Observatory in England, who've been studying the stars and they've been studying the weekly cycles and they've been studying history, they will tell you that never in history has the weekly cycle ever been disrupted. One of the things they will tell you is Pro- Pope Gregory, the X111, I don't know how to say that, <laughs> changed the date of the calendar. Um, Pope Gregory changed the date of the calendar. Thank you. I'm not good with Roman numerals, so I don't know who he is, but it's an X111. That's the guy. So the only time that um, there's been a change in history, Pope Gregory changed the date because um, they had miscalculated how years were, so all of a sudden the month weren't lining up with the seasons they were supposed to be in. And so what Pope Gregory does, he's like, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to adjust the calendar, which is actually why we have a leap year now, and we have a few things, because we're trying to keep our months and our dates in line with the seasons. Um, So he changed the calendar um, this way. He decreed that the following day, Thursday, October 4th, 1582, would be Friday, October 15th, 1582. So he goes from Thursday the 4th to Friday the 15th. So he changes the dates on the calendar, but he never changes the weekly cycle. If you look throughout history, history never... People don't disagree that the weekly cycle has been intact. The Bible tells us, languages tell us, historians tell us, the weekly cycle's been intact. We know what's going on. So when does Sabbath actually take place? When does it fall? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, page 1, for those of you. Genesis chapter 1, page 1. Genesis chapter 1 and page 1. We're going to start in verse 3. It says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, making the first day. So what does God constitute as a day? What time frame does God constitute as a day? Okay, evening to the next morning, and then to the next evening. So basically, sunset to sunset. Why does God start it that way? Why, why does God's time frame, our time frame, a new day starts at midnight. You know, then we're into the next day, which is in the middle of the night for most of us. I'm not usually up that late, so I'm not usually up when the new day arrives. So why does God do it this way? Well, when God's forming the earth, what was the state of the earth? Darkness. Darkness. All right, so... It's formless, void, darkness, there's no light, there's no anything. The first thing God creates is light. And so it makes sense that if the first thing he creates, when light has a cycle, that's when the next day is. So the next day begins in the evening. Does that make sense? So we get God's concept of a day from sunset to sunset. When evening happens, then the next evening, that's gone concept of a day. So if God says the seventh day is the Sabbath, what, what time are we supposed to observe in our language in order to accommodate for God's day? If the seventh day is Sabbath and we learned that Saturday, what time are we supposed to observe the Sabbath? Sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. Does that make sense? That's God's Sabbath. That's his time. 
Now, it's something interesting that we also learned. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that make sense in language and history. All right, where do we get a year from? How do we time a year? A year? Huh? 365 days? But we get a year from the Earth's rotation around the sun, right? So that's where we get a year from. Makes sense. Um, nature puts it there naturally. We get a year from a rotation around the sun. Where do we get a, um, a week from? Or where do we get um, a month from? Okay, so we get a month from the moon's rotation around the earth. We, get, we follow the months along the moon cycles. It's 28th day, but it's roughly, but that's, that's roughly where we get. So it kind of shows us where we get the month. Where do we get a day from? All right, so it's actually the earth's rotation itself. Does that make sense? So in nature, there's pretty general set reasons why we have a year, a month, and a day. Where do we get a week from? From God. There is no natural history thing for a reason why we should have a week, except for God knew that we needed the week. And it's been interesting. In Germany, during Hitler's time, he wanted to go to a 10-day work week, and he tried to do it, and he found that people were actually less productive. They weren't as productive. And so then they tried to go to five-day work weeks, five-day weeks, and, you know, just five days repeating over and over again. That didn't work either. It wasn't productive. And Microsoft has tried it. They tried to go to a 10-day work, you know, 10-day work, few days off, 10-day work, few days off. They found their people weren't more productive. God knew what he was doing when every seven days he gave us a day of rest. Now, it's not always easy to follow God's law. What happened to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 16. So they're there, and God tells them, okay, I want you to pick up just enough for one day. And they'd never done this before. And some people are like, well, you know what? I need to, need to make sure all my bases are covered. Which, what if there's no food tomorrow? I need to make sure I have enough food. What happened to those lovely people? They had nice maggots and stinky smell in their, in their houses. Okay, so now they're, they're kind of hurt a little bit. Oh, no, if we don't... Um, okay, so God said we cannot have more than enough for one day. And so then when God goes and tells them, listen, I need to take enough for two days. So oh, no, 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 I, I tried that. That didn't work so well. Manna stank, and it was horrible, and I still can't get the smell out of my tent. And so they didn't gather enough. God was testing them with something that's pretty important to all of us. How many of you want to go a day without any food? I know there's people around the world who do it on a regular basis, but all of us are pretty spoiled. And if, you know, my dietician has me eating every three hours, so if it gets much more than three hours, I'm like, where's my food? I'm hungry. And so God is trying to teach them something very important with the food. So, if it's not always easy to keep the Sabbath, how are we supposed to keep it? God doesn't actually want us to. That was just something for the Jews and for the slaves, right? Well, let's look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, page 522. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. 522. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. You know, it's not always convenient to do what God told us to do on the Sabbath. And the the interesting thing about the Sabbath, this special day that God has instituted for us, he doesn't give us a whole lot of rules about it. He tells us in Genesis it's a day of rest. Then he tells us in, Gen- in Exodus chapter 20 that we're not supposed to work, which is the same thing, a day of rest. We're supposed to keep it holy. But other than that, he doesn't give us a whole lot of guidelines. And so trusting God sometimes is difficult. So Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, it says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but its end is in death. When I do what, you know, I think is just right, what is the best way, it ends up not doing me so good. I end up in death. The Sabbath wasn't just for the slaves. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 14, page 1016. Revelation chapter 14. It's the last book of the Bible. Revelation 14. And we're going to read verse 12. 
Revelation 14, verse 12, it says, This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. All right, so this tells us it's not always going to be easy to obey God's commands. And bump up and look at um, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. It says, I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Fear God, he shouted. Give glory to him, for the time has come when he will sit as judge. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Have you guys ever heard that before? Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Remember I told you that there's 278 verses of 404 verses in Revelation that directly quote the Old Testament. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Let's see something. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is page 62. Exodus chapter 20, page 62. It says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So, if we jump back over here to Revelation chapter 14, does anything sound familiar with what we just read? It says, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Then we jump back here to Exodus chapter 20. It says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Does anything sound familiar? John is quoting the Ten Commandments. And then a little bit later, he says that the saints have to endure some persecution because of it. It's not always easy to do what God has asked us to do. It's not always easy to honor the Sabbath day. In Exodus chapter 20, it tells us we're not supposed to do our ordinary work. We're not supposed to do what we do every single day. So if that means we go to work every single day, or maybe we go to school every single day. So maybe it's homework we're not supposed to do. What is it that we do on a regular basis? What is it we normally put our time into? God's asking us to rest from that. But how can he ask us to rest from that? That's just not fair. Well, just like God was testing the Israelites, he's saying, I'm, I, I need to test you too. I need you to, to listen to me. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, page 750, um, 775, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God gives us a promise. Malachi chapter 3, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, page 775. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, page 775. God says, and this is something else that God is asking us to do, but the same point applies. He says, God says, bring a tithe into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. So God's saying, you know, do, do what I'm asking you to do. Now, this is the promise I want you to get. He says, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out blessings so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. God's saying something. When I'm asking you to do something, even though it seems hard, and Revelation tells us that at the end, the first angel's message is a call to obey the Creator to worship him who made the heavens and the earth. It's a throwback. It goes back to the Ten Commandments. It goes back to the one commandment, the one thing that God found most important to teach the children of Israel a month after they were out of slavery. It goes back to the Sabbath. And God's asking us not to work on the Sabbath, not to do our ordinary work, to rest, to spend time with him. That's not always easy. Malachi says, trust me. My dad, when I was really little, Um, before I can even remember. My dad's a carpenter, and it had been a while. Um, He he tree planted during tree planting season, 
which meant that there was a season when there was snow on the ground, when the ground is frozen, that you can't plant trees. And so during the season, he would do everything he could to find a job. And so he was, um, he'd been looking for a job for a while, but because he honored the Sabbath, he hadn't been able to find a job. Finally, he went to this one company, and he was talking with the, the owner of this construction company, and the guy's name was Red. He said, you know, hey, Red, you know, I really want a job. I'm a good worker. I'll work for you, but I just can't work from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night. And Red's like, yeah, that's cool. We have so many people working. We have a lot to do, but there's so many people here. It shouldn't be a problem for you not to work on Saturday. That's fine. So my dad started working, and he worked all week, and he worked really hard, well, Red's partner, Danny, came up to everybody, and he called a meeting. He's like, we're behind on this project, this construction project, and I need everybody to come in to work tomorrow on Saturday. And so he made his announcement, and afterwards my dad went over to him and said, well, hey, Danny, you weren't there, but I was talking to Red, your partner. When he hired me, he told me it'd be okay not to work on Saturdays. Well, Danny stands up and he makes an announcement, anybody who's not here on Saturday is fired. And my dad's like, um, well, you know, see, I just can't be here. And he left, and they got paid every um, Friday. And so as he was going home, he looked at his paycheck, and his paycheck had a little bit more money. And the guy he was riding with, he's like, oh, maybe I'm getting paid more than I thought I would. And the guy's like, no, you got fired. They pay us from Thursday to Thursday, five days. Since you started on a Monday, you should only have four days' worth of work but he paid you for Friday because he fired you. My dad's like, oh, that's not good. And so he went home and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed with my mom all week. He, he didn't know what to do. He had to tell my mom he lost his job. He got fired. Well, he decided to go back to work on Monday. And he went a little bit early. And when he got there, Danny cussed him out for like 20 minutes. What are you doing here, Glenn? Why are you here? I fired you. And my dad calmly said, well, the reason you had people work on Saturday was because you're behind. I'm a good worker. You saw that last week. Why don't you just use me this week? And he's like, fine, go to work. And so the same thing happened. My dad worked all week, and Friday comes, and Danny goes back out, and he says, we're behind on our job, and everybody needs to come out on Saturday and work. If you don't come out, you'll be fired. And my dad says, um, I can't be here. And he's like, you're fired. And so my dad looked at his paycheck going home, and he had the extra day's worth of pay in there. And so he spent the whole weekend just not sure what he was going to do. And then he went back to work a little bit early on Monday. And Danny cusses him out again. What are you doing here, Glenn? I fired you. And he's like, well, the reason you had him work on Saturday is because you're behind. I'm a good worker. Why don't you just let me work? And so he's like, fine. Well, my dad got fired four weeks in a row. <laughs> and finally, Danny just got sick of firing him. And about a month later on the job... A guy comes up to my dad while he's working on the job, and he says, hey, Glenn, do you do any side work? And my dad's like, yeah, I do side work sometimes. And he started describing this job that needed to be done. And my dad was starting to feel like this was a conflict of interest because he's working for a construction company, and this guy's talking to him about this big job. And he says, hey, listen, you really ought to go talk to Danny or Red. You know, they could help you. We could, you know, I could work on the job that way. He's like, I actually just came from Danny's office. He didn't want the job. He said it was too small for him. And I asked him who would be the best carpenter to hire. He said, hire Glenn. He won't work on Saturdays, but he'll do the best job he can on Sundays. God promises us Malachi, trust me, test me, see if I won't prove myself. I've tried it again and again when we honor God, especially with the Sabbath. My sister's in college. She's doing her doctorate in chiropractics. Most people study on Saturdays. She doesn't, she's still at the top of her class. When we test God, he proves himself over and over and over again. What God is trying to teach the children of Israel is that the Sabbath, you need it. It's time that I would spend with Adam and Eve in the garden. You need that time to relax, to rejuvenate personally, but you also need that time for me. We know that the seventh day, Saturday, is the Sabbath. It's been given for all of us. In Genesis chapter 2, it tells us it was given at creation. Exodus chapter 20 tells us God regave it close to um, 2,500 years later at Mount Sinai after the children of Israel had been enslaved. 
It tells us in the Old Testament that the children, God's children, kept the seventh-day Sabbath. It also tells us that the Sabbath is not just for the Jews. Some people say, well, the Sabbath is God's thing for the Jews. It's not something I need. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, which is page... Hang on, I don't think I wrote it down. Isaiah 598. Isaiah chapter 56. 56, verses 6 and 7. God is saying this. Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. He says, I will also bless foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem. I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. A lot of people say the Sabbath was just for the Jews. It was just for the slaves. It was something that they needed back then. Well, the Bible tells us that God says anybody who wants in on this is allowed in on it. Anybody who wants in on the covenant, the covenant is a special pact that God made with his people. And it's if you will be my people, I will be your God and I will bless you. Look at what he says in Exodus chapter 15. Look at what he tells the children of Israel. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 59. Exodus 15 verse 59. Or page 59. Exodus 15 verse 26. God said, If you will listen carefully to the voice of your, the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will, make you, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am the one who heals you. God promises that he will pour out blessings on us if we obey and if we listen to his Sabbath. It's not just for the Jews. It's a special covenant that we can all be part of. Who wouldn't want the Sabbath? Sometimes we see it as a day that why would I want to do that? It's one day I can't work and I can't make money. Think about it this, this way. Who wouldn't want the Sabbath? It's a day I don't have to work, and I still am promised that God is going to give me the money. It's a day that God has set aside for me. It tells us that Jesus kept the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, page 833, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus, who is the Son of God, he was 100% God but 100% human at the same time. Jesus kept the Sabbath. He needed the day of rest. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Luke chapter 4, um, 16 says, Then he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. He went, as usual, to the synagogue on Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Jesus, the Son of God, his custom was to be in church on Sabbath, to spend time with God, not to work. The Sabbath is something for all people. And like we read in Revelation chapter 14, the people who are going to be God's people, the third angel's message goes out to worship the creator of the heaven and earth. It's a quote from Exodus chapter 20. The people who are going to be God's people at the end are going to be keeping his Sabbath. And it is not something that's a burden. In fact, Mark chapter 2, verse 27, turn there. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, 8, 11. Mark chapter 2:27 Mark chapter 2 verse 27 Jesus says the sabbath was made to meet the needs of God of people and not people to meet the requirements of the sabbath the son of man is lord even over the sabbath Jesus tells us, he's telling the Pharisees because him and his disciples are walking through the grain field and they pick grains, they start rubbing them in their hands. And so the Pharisees go, ah, you're working. You're working on the Sabbath. And God says, Jesus says, no, that's not the point. 
The Sabbath isn't a burden. The Pharisees had made the Sabbath such a burden in Jesus' time. They had mapped out all these rules where there was a Sabbath day's journey. And if you walked so many steps, I don't know how much it was. And you were stuck there until the Sabbath was over. Unless you put a meal out and you had a meal, then you could go another Sabbath day's journey. And so what people would do on Friday before Sabbath is they'd walk and they'd count out steps and they'd put snacks along the road and they'd keep walking and they'd have snacks along the road so that they could get where they wanted to go on Sabbath. And Jesus is telling the Pharisees, Sabbath was not made. It was not, people were not created to worship on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a gift from God for us. It's a day that's freeing, that God says, you were slaves in Egypt. You never had a break. You need a day of rest. God is calling us to trust him. He says, test me and see if I will not pour out blessings if you do what I'm saying. It's a call today. The Bible clearly tells us which day is God's day. And just like a husband isn't going to get in the car with one of his wife's sisters and go on the honeymoon, God has the day he wanted. History shows us that that day never changed. And God wants us to observe that day, and not because he's made a random ruling, but because it's the best thing for us. We need the rest and we need the time with God. The dare tonight is can you, can you admit that the Sabbath is from sundown Friday and sundown Saturday, as the Bible clearly states. I dare you to acknowledge that God never changed the day of worship. Jesus tells us that, you know, sun and earth will pass away before God's law changes. And I want to dare you to honor God by worshiping on his Sabbath and then receive its blessings. That might be a challenge for some of you. It means not working. It means not doing homework. It means spending time with God and spending time with your family. But just like God took care of the children of Israel, just like he promised in um, Malachi, he will pour blessings out if you will trust him. You've been listening to The Disciple Dare from Pastor Jennifer Deans. We hope this message encouraged you as you learn to follow in Jesus' footsteps. If you'd like to learn more about how you can take the dare, drop by ViennaSDA.org. There you'll find resources to get connected to others like yourself and to help in your spiritual journey.